Let me, too, extend my word of welcome to you all as well. If you are new with us, my name is Jordan Johnson. have the joy of serving in this season as our lead pastor and one of our elders here at Pleasant Valley Church. If you're with us on the live stream, we're so glad that you are with us as well. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go with me to the book of Ruth the book of Ruth. And just want to thank John and Reagan and Hanny for leading us so well this morning and reminding us of the great king that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this weekend at PVC and surrounding PVC, we've had some exciting connections and opportunities going on. Our men yesterday morning had a Bible study that was a great time in the Lord, uh, had 80-plus women at a Christmas craft yesterday, um, so we praise God for that, 80-plus some odd in there, great group. And then last night, we had a group of our young adults, our young pros, college and career, if you're raising the church, um, group that gathered last night, and I uh, had a great time of fellowship and connection. All these are so vital to your maturation and your walk with the Lord. And, and also, one of our connect groups on Friday night attended a, a, a live nativity Christmas time um, out in Valley View. And so, connection, connection, connection is so important that you're not going to make it in your walk with God. You're, you're not going to thrive in all that God has called you to be and do without the people of God around you, without the people who love the Lord like you love the Lord, are seeking to please Him the way that you're seeking to please Him. The Lord never intended for you to walk alone. If you walk alone, you'll remain a midget saint. You, your, gr your growth will be stunted. And so I just want to encourage you, um, coming on Sunday morning is the premier thing, for this is the Lord's Day. This is the day we recognize every Sunday that Jesus is alive. That's why we call it the Lord's Day, because he was resurrected on Sunday. But I want to tell you, this is just the beginning, I hope, of connection for you. That if you just come here and then leave, that's, that's great, it's a good start. But I just, I want to encourage you to take the next step and look for connection, because it's all around us, so that the Lord would be honored and glorified even more in your life as you gain great strength synergistically as the people of God around you and you with them join together in encouraging one another in your pursuit of the Lord. Well, if you have your Bible, the book of Ruth, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Glad that you're here. We're in week two of a study through the book of Ruth. And if you like, don't even know where the book of Ruth is in your Bible, uh, don't be ashamed to go to the table of contents. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the eighth book in your Old Testament, Ruth. And so grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible like at all, then there is a pewback Bible in front of you, and please take that and go with us. Please note that that pew Bible is not the same translation that I'm preaching from, but just so you know, we're going to address that in 2024. All these pew Bibles you see here are all going to be replaced with ESV pew Bibles to align us more on what comes from here. And you think, well, what are we going to do with all those Bibles, Jordan? That seems wasteful. Well, it's not. 
Um, we are going to take these Bibles down to the city mission, downtown Cleveland, and we'll be able to take these Bibles and put into the hands of people that come into the city mission and with the hopes that they'll read the Word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ, and God would radically save them by reading and seeing Jesus in His Word. All that to say, the book of Ruth, chapter 2 for today. Father, thank you so much for this time we get today to open your word. Lord, we're going to labor in this text together. We're going to work really hard together today with all of our power mentally, and we're going to seek to really feast on your word and dig out meaning and dig out application because we know that the Bible is not some book that is not living and active, but God, this is your word. And you have given it to us that we might gain from it the proper understanding of you, the right understanding of ourselves, that we would see the Lord Jesus, that we would turn from sin, and we would put our faith alone in him. So I pray that you would nourish us today by your truth, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would use this text to remind us of your character through the characters that are in the narrative. And from it, we would leave here with hope and peace and joy. And some of us, for the first time, maybe experience your love and what it means to be loved by you in the Lord Jesus. So we bless your name for the weekend that we've had, the various connections that we have surrounding PVC. And we ask now as we open your word that you would meet us in it and that you would give us the spectacles of the Holy Spirit, that we would read it, and that Spirit of God, you would move not only in me, but upon those who are listening, and that together we would see and behold our Savior all over again. This we pray in his precious and holy name. And everybody said, the word, of, the word Advent, as you know, and David told us, means arrival, translated from a Latin word. And so this church and churches globally that have named the name of Jesus Christ use these four Sundays before Christmas Day to think about the first arrival or advent of our Lord Jesus. And we do it with anticipation that one day our Lord Jesus is coming again. We should have, you and I, we should feel a bit of the waiting that the Jews, Israel, had as they were waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for God to fulfill his promise to send a Messiah who would come and rescue them from their sins. The Old Testament ends with this thought, the people of God cannot keep God's law. The people of God have failed. The people of God are idolaters. The people of God are not spiritually stable. And they need someone who will come and bring the stability of God, the faithfulness of God, the obedience of God to God on behalf of those who cannot obey him the way that he demands, which make no mistake about it is perfectly 
And so Jesus comes as Messiah. He comes, and you should feel a bit of waiting right now. I hope that your Advent reading at home, I hope you're lighting candles or in your home or you're building some kind of calendar or you're doing something in your own home to really take Advent and really maximize the Christmas season because if you don't, it will be stripped away from you from uh, a number of different things in the culture that wants to get your focus off of the Lord Jesus. And in the book of Ruth, what we have is really a picture of waiting. And so maybe today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a season of waiting. You're waiting. You know that God is at some point going to do whatever that is, and you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting on a family member to come to Christ, and you're wondering, are they ever going to come? Maybe you're waiting on getting a new job, because the one you, you have, you despise. And as I said last week, you hate to even go to bed on Sunday night because you've got to get up and go there. Uh, maybe you're waiting on, a fi- on some money to come through because your experience is, is there's more month left at the end of the money and your credit card is maxed out. And yeah, they're going to go ahead and grant you the request, send you a little text, and they're going to say, you're over your limit, but we covered you. And so you're, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're waiting for God to do what only God can do. And the question that I have for for you and for me to really dig around in is how are you doing in the waiting? How how, how are you doing? How, how, How are you doing in the waiting? Some of us are waiting well. Some of us are not waiting well. And the book of Ruth just screams in your face, wait on the Lord. So how do you wait on the Lord? Well, I think we need to define it first, just to remind you, to wait on the Lord, notice on the screen, is to obey God in everything that you know that He wants you to do right now, in your waiting, His revealed will, while you wait for Him to act, to flex His muscle, to do what only He can do, to move the heart of your child who is away from the Lord, to move indeed to email you back and say, could we talk about an interview? While you're waiting on the financial provision of God, of this need in your life. So when, when Ember and I left Texas and we went to North Carolina for a season, um, I wasn't pastoring a church when we went there. That was new for me. By God's grace, started pastoring when I was 19, so 19 to 32, we moved to North Carolina for me to attend seminary. While we're there, um, I, I was in a, and we were in a posture we'd never been in before. We had never been, as a married couple since 19 years old, members of a church where I was not the pastor. And so we got there, and we knew it's very important before God that we need to be in a church, a local church, worshiping seeing the means of grace, practicing the Lord's Supper, viewing baptisms, doing all the one another's with the body, and yet, if you don't know it, coming into a new church and trying to determine, God, where do you want us to land our feet, that can be a bit of a feat to figure out, and, and, and all of us have been there to some extent. And so, for, we, for a number of weeks, we visited different churches, and um, 
that, that's a different season. And some of you in this room right now are in that season. You're visiting churches. You're looking for where is God placing us next. And I remember that as we were walking through that, there were weeks of great uncertainty, weeks of, yeah, the, the sermon's great, but then we're singing songs that I feel like are not biblical, so that's not going to be good. And it wasn't just one week, it was week and then two weeks, because this is what I believe while you're waiting. You need to attend a church at least seven weeks in a row, seven weeks in a row. Because you need to see the full extent of what's going on there. If you go to this one this week, that one next week, that one next week, you're going to be so confused, you don't even know what to do. But if you'll go somewhere where on paper they're theologically true, go see how they live that out for at least seven weeks and pray and seek and wait. But see, what you're doing is you're not sitting at home and you're not just waiting saying, well, God will show us where he wants us to go and we will just sit here and wait for him to do that. Waiting is, no, attending. The Bible commands you to not forsake the assembling of the people of God. So you've got to go. You've got to be a part. You've got to go see. But then you've got to wait on the Lord to reveal his secret will to you, which is an impression and could be in a number of ways that he lands that this is our church home. And that's just one example. So what about you? While you're waiting for God to do what only he can do, are you faithful right now? Are you doing everything he's told you to do? Some of us are waiting on a new job and yet we're a terrible employee. Do you think God's going to honor that? Think God's going to honor you, honor you giving you a new job when you're not being a good steward of what he's already given you now? No, he's not. So you be faithful, friend, where he has you, and you let him lead you where he wants you to go. And the reason that I bring that up, because Elimelech, in chapter 1, that we began the book of Ruth last week, we meet this family, um, and they are from Israel. And they are in Bethlehem, the house of bread is what it means. And Elimelech is the leader of this family. He's the husband. And his wife, uh, Naomi, and then they have two sons, Milan and Kilion. And they're in a season of severe famine. And the reason that there's a famine is because God's discipline is on his people. See, God had been largely forgotten by his people at the timing of the book of Ruth. If you don't believe me, go read the book of Judges and you'll see this cycle that they rebel against God. God sends a prophet to tell them, shape up or I'm going to ship you out. They rebel cyclically, then they'll repent. Oh Lord, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have done that, we're awful people, we're sinners, ah! And God gives mercy, and then it happens again and again. And the book of Judges ends by saying everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So everybody, they didn't need a God. They, they, they had a God. It was themselves. So they did whatever they thought was right, and that's what the book of Ruth, the context is. And so Israel is largely forgotten her God. And Elimelech has a choice to either wait on God in Bethlehem and trust that God's going to renege the famine and that Elimech can repent of his sin and can confess any sin that he and his family have contributed to rebelling against God that has warranted the discipline of God, or he can bail. He can not wait on God, he can run from God and seek to fix this on his own. Well, he did exactly that. He leaves Bethlehem, he doesn't wait on God, and he doesn't just go to a friendly place, he goes to a forbidden place. Israelites weren't supposed to be hanging out in Moab. The Moabites were, by and large, the enemies of God. And Moab was convenient, though, because Moab had a lot of green grass, a lot of good food, 
a lot of great job opportunities. Things were really great in Moab. So instead of repenting of sin, owning his mess before God, he bails and goes to what he thought was the greener grass of Moab. Well, this is an act of great faithlessness. And on top of that, when they get there, Milan and Kilion do what young single men usually do. They seek out a wife. And so that's what they do. These Israelite boys now marry two Moabite women, which is highly, 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 highly rebellious against God. But it gets worse because after they're there for a little while, um, Milan and Kilion die off. Daddy Elimelech also dies. And now this, this, this woman, Naomi, this Israelite woman, She's left in a foreign country, and the only people she knows are her foreign Moabite daughter-in-laws. And she is in a place of, what am I supposed to do? Well, she gets word somehow that Bethlehem has bread again. So she says, I- I'm going back home. Orpah and Ruth, her two daughter-in-laws, Naomi's like, go home. Go get you a Moabite man. Go back to Moab. Go back. Well, Orpah's like, you know, um, no. But then she's like, better judgment hits in. I'll go back. So she goes back. But Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere, mother-in-law, Naomi. I'm going to cling to you. And the book of Ruth chapter 1 ends in a very broken way, in a very bitter way. And you have one bitter mother-in-law, one bitter mother-in-law in Naomi. And you've got a Ruth, just a, I mean, it's all God's grace, but a superstar of a daughter-in-law. And this, cup, this, this very odd couple, very odd couple, odd couple in the sense of um, Naomi, the Israelite, comes back to her t- place, and she brings now a Moabite, wasn't really welcome in Israel, kind of the same way, and now all of a sudden this Moabite young lady shows up. It creates quite a stir in Israel. They're like, who, is that Naomi? Who, who, who is that girl with her? You can just hear the town gossiping and bustling and coming to conclusions about Naomi, like, oh, Elimelech, oh, I heard he died. Milan, Kilian, oh, the, 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 you could just get all this in your mind. And so it's, it's very bleak in Ruth chapter 1. But it really tees up the, the ball here for us in chapter 2, verse 1. Notice it says, now, now after that. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Would you say Boaz? So we meet Boaz. Two facts about him I want you to note. First of all, he's from the clan of Elimelech. A clan in this time consisted of a cluster of families who took care of each other in time of need. So if you were a family in Israel, you were part of a greater clan. And then that clan would care for anyone, any family in the cluster or gaggle of families that were in this clan. So Boaz, it says here, is from the clan of Elimelech. Remember, that's Naomi's late husband. He's dead. Then notice, second of all, Boaz is a worthy man. Now, this meant he had money, but he also had character. So he had character and he had wealth. And so amidst And just notice how the author here, we don't even know who wrote the book of Ruth, by the way. But notice how the author creates suspense here. Because there's a bit of hope here in verse 1. 
Because the primary need of Naomi and Ruth is they need food, they hungry, and they need family. They need someone to take care of them. They're in a fort, they've, they've come back. They don't have a husband, don't have anybody, but they got a clan. And the, 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 the author wants you to know when they come back, Boaz is a man of Elimelech's clan, which means he might take care of them. But he's also a man of wealth. And that means he's got the financial stability to care for these people. So notice too. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So in Israel, God had set up a way to care for the poor, which means God loves the poor, okay? God loves to care for the poor. God has a heart for the poor, the marginalized, the left out, the ones who nobody else thinks about, the one who people look over. God has a heart for them, and you should too, by the way. But we'll save that for another sermon. But the way that he cared for the poor is that when, when it was called gleaning, and so when harvesters would go and harvest the wheat, what they were instructed to do is gather clusters of it and put it in the corner of the barley field so that when the poor came by, they could go and get something to eat. And obviously, Naomi told Ruth about this whole idea because these two ladies' stomach, they're like famished. They're talking, and Naomi probably says, well, listen, there's this whole thing called gleaning, and we're in harvest, so that means if we find a field, there's probably in the corner we can get some food and eat. And so Ruth's like, can I go? Can I go? Can I go glean? And she's like, daughter, go. Daughter here, by the way, is a term of endearment. Daughter means that she was primarily responsible for this young lady, Ruth. So she's her daughter in that sense. And so clearly, this is what's going on. And so Ruth sets out. And by the way, Ruth is depending here that there's some kind person around Israel who's going to let her glean. Because what the author does in chapter 1 and throughout the book is constantly remind us, the reader, Ruth the Moabite. Constantly telling us, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. The author does not want us to forget that Ruth is a Moabite. In other words, she ain't from around here, and she doesn't belong here. That's what the author wants you to see. She's a Moabite. And she is trusting that she's going to find a landowner who will be kind to her. In spite of not being an Israelite, and not just being a foreigner, that's one thing, but actually to be a Moabite foreigner. Israel could not stand the Moabites, okay? They have, do not have a good history. And so she goes as a foreigner in this country of Israel. She has no clan, right? Because she's not an Israelite. So she has no clan to claim for her. But notice the next verse. So she set out and went and gleaned. You know what that means now? She's in the corner gleaning food. After the reapers, the re they've reaped it, they put it just as God said. And she underlined this phrase, happened to. I love that. Happened to. Oh, so good. Happened to come to the part of the field belonging to our man Boaz. Remember, this man's got money, honey. The aim of the author is, is clearly to point out that this is no accident. Notice this happened too. This is sarcasm on the point of the author. This is sarcasm. This is what the author is saying. Oh, and by the way, she just happened to show up into the field of Boaz, who 
is connected to Elimelech, and you get the sarcasm that's going on here. So don't miss what the Bible is teaching here, dear friend. Nothing in our lives happens by accident. Not with a sovereign God. Not with a God who is in full control. So your life, watch this now, is not driven by fate. It's not driven by chance. It's not driven by luck. It's not driven by coincidence. There is a sovereign God who is working in ways right now in your life, and you don't realize it. You may realize it one day, but right now, you don't realize it. Can I just comfort your heart this morning? God is doing way more than you can see. He's doing way more than you can even fathom. And what He's, he's doing 10,000 things in your life right now. You see like two of them. Do you think the other 9,998, do you think him being the good God he is, that he's working for your good? Yes, he is. As your child, he is doing everything, pulling strings and doing what he wants to do for your good, for your good, and the glory of his name. This is called God's providence, by the way. This is his attribute of providence, providence. When you hear about God's providence, Providence is God caring for his people day by day in unseen ways. That's a, that's a great definition. Providence is God caring for his people day by day, many times in unseen ways. I'm all about the miraculous. I'm all about God breaking in and, and healing bodies and, and stopping nature so that he can flex his muscle. I'm all about seeing God do what only God could do. But can I tell you something? The primary way that God is caring for you is not through miracle. The primary way God is caring for you is every day he's putting you in places that he wants you to be and he's protecting you from other places that he does not want you to be and his unhand sovereign hand of providence is doing amazing things in your life right now. This is all his providence. You do not live by happenstance. You do not live by mere circumstance. You live by God's providence. You can get up every single day and know my God is providing all that I need today in every single way to accomplish everything he wants me to do. And so I need to trust him that he's doing more right now than I can see. This is the case right now in the book of Ruth. This is the unseen hand of God's providence in the life of this dear, dear set of ladies. Now look at the next verse four. And behold, Boaz... This is like our knight in shining armor. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, And the Lord bless you, sir. Then, verse 5, Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reaper, so this is his foreman, like his, the, 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 the main man, Whose young woman is this? Now notice he doesn't ask who she is. Note that. He asks whose she is. What the book of Ruth will do for the remainder of the book is it will argue who she actually belongs to. It's not about who she is as much as whose she is. And the question is, is who does this woman belong to? For who is going to provide for her? For who is going to take care of this precious woman? Notice the woman replies, verse 6, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now. This is a hard-working woman. Except for a short rest, she got a swig of water. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, 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 my daughter. Notice the term of endearment here. Notice he's calling her his daughter. This is what he's saying to her. I'm going to take care of you. Daughters are the recipients of the care of another in the ancient world. And when he calls her daughter, it's a term of endearment. He's telling her without telling her by calling her daughter, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to take care of you. In other words, his character of being a worthy man is just flowing out of the text at this point. So he says, daughter, daughter, don't glean from another field. Don't leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Notice 9, let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have not I charged the young men not to touch you? Common in this day for someone like Ruth to be mistreated, abused in ways that because of ears in the room I won't go into, but I think you can read between the lines. She is in a very vulnerable place, very set up to be taken massively advantage of. And he says, I've already told him, don't touch her. Don't lay a hand on her. And it must have brought Ruth a sense of, because as a Moabite, she would expect, I'm probably not going to make it out of here without being abused in some way. And Boaz says, no, no, not on my watch. It's not happening. You're fine. You're going to be fine. Notice, and when you're thirsty, he goes further. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels. Drink what the young women, I'm sorry, young men, that's key, young men have drawn. This is astounding because this is a culture where women would draw water for men. I don't mean to be sexist here in any way, but men did not get women water in the ancient world. Women would get men water. And then Israelites would serve water to their kinsmen two other Israelites. They would not serve water. And by the way, for you to turn your tap on this morning and clean water came out of there, you ought to look to the high heavens and thank God. Because there's 70% of the world do not get to do that. Do not have clean water. So that's just a side note. I don't praise God for clean water. And that's why it's such a big deal in the ancient world. It was hard to find clean water. And so he says here that when you drink, drink from, my, from the vessels that I have. And notice, my men are going to serve you. Guys, that's nuts for an Israelite man to serve a Moabite woman. That's crazy. This is like, whoa. But listen how Ruth responds. She gets it, verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me? Notice, I'm a foreigner. I'm a foreigner. Ruth knows this is mercy far beyond anything I've ever experienced. Like, I came here. I don't know anybody. I'm a Moabite. And yet, here's this man, Boaz, who has extravagantly reached out to me and cared for me, and it, it, it almost doesn't make sense to this young woman. She doesn't understand why he, being a man of such strength, would do this. But notice 11. 
But Boaz answered her, all that, here's why, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. I know about it all. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, this is majestic, friends. This is, this is Hebrew poetry. This is beautiful language. But notice 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Remember he said, my women, so he had other, he said, you're, 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 I'm not one of them. And Ruth says, I'm the lowest of the low on the rung of social status, and yet you love and care for me? Notice 14, and at mealtime, and this is in the barley harvest, by the way, barley harvest. It, so we call this like a meal at the barley grill, not the Bagley grill, but this is at the barley grill. If we're not from around here, we have a place on the road, the Bagley grill. But this is a barley grill, and this is really the first date, if you will. First date. And notice, come here and eat some bread. Dip your morsel in the wine. So think Carabas and that, you know, that good olive oil stuff, and you get some and dip it. What a wonderful place to eat, by the way. But you dip your morsel in the wine. That's what they're doing. So get you some, I'll get some. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until her belly was full. She's satisfied. And then she even had some left over. So the first, book, the first date in the book of Ruth is over an exquisite roasted portion of grain. Boaz caring for her, serving her. And Ruth's loving it. She's chowing down. She eats until some's left over. But notice 15, then she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even from among the sheaves. That's the best part. Don't reproach her, 16. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Boaz says, guys, I need your help. Protect her, provide for her. Like she's marked. Like you see her, like, take care of her, take care of her, take care of her. Put her where the best stuff is and do not rebuke her at all for doing it. And then notice, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, an ephah is 30 to 50 pounds. To put that in perspective, the average male worker would gather two pounds a day. Two pounds a day. And yet, she has gleaned and beat out 30 to 50 pounds. But here's how you know Ruth probably did CrossFit. Because look at verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. She carried that. I mean, I want you to think about it. Ladies in this room, could you carry 30 to 50 pounds? I mean, so 50 pounds is a bag of sacrete, a bag of cement. That's 50 pounds. I'm not, I'm not, let's just say men. I, I mean, let's, let's just say anybody. I mean, this, this woman, Ruth, she is a, she must have, I mean, she's been working hard. And then she picks it up and carries it into the town. 
But when she gets there, obviously she was like stuffing bread in her pockets from the, the barley grill because when she gets there, she gives the leftovers to Naomi. Not only does she have several weeks, months of barley to provide, but she even has some leftover food from her date with Boaz. Now I want you to notice 19, and her mother-in-law noticed, said to her, where did you glean today? And where, where you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So notice how Naomi is repeating herself. She's fumbling over words because she just can't, she can't get this in her mind. Her little daughter-in-law left. They got nothing to eat. They're, they're, she's going on a chance that somebody out there is going to take care of her. She comes storming back in. I'm sure her veins were like popping out of her arm from carrying all of that and working all day. Lays down 30 to 50 pounds in front of Naomi, and Naomi says, girl, where you been? Who in the world has blessed you like this? Notice, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name in which I work is Boaz. And then Naomi goes nuts, all right? Look at 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, underline the word kindness. We're going to come back to it and wrap it up in just a moment. Kindness. Underline kindness. But listen to how Naomi then fills Ruth in on the secret. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. And then underline this word. He is one of our redeemers. Now, this is the one of the most important things in the entire book of Ruth. Remember the family clan thing? The family clan, you run a clan, and the clan took care of the clan, all the families. Well, in times of need, what one family would do for another family is they, if a, if a man died, then he would have property, and one of the other families, one of the other men would be the redeemer of the situation. He would go and buy the land that was now given to this widow and children, and then he would sell it, and then he would get the proceeds and give it to the widow and the children so that they could be cared for. That, he, he redeemed it. And, and what she says here is he might, Boaz might be a redeemer. So Naomi said, 21, or Ruth said, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women lest in another field you be assaulted. See what I told you? She would be assaulted. She would be massively taken advantage of. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So over the next six to seven weeks, Ruth will continue to work in Boaz's field. That means the first problem, remember I told you the biggest problem they had was they needed food and they needed family. Well, that's been met. The food has been taken care of. But the question is, who's going to provide for them long term? Because they've had food met now, and that was their, one of their primary needs, but the author leaves us at the end of chapter 2 in great suspense once again. Because he ends by saying, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So she's working in Boaz's field, and she's working 
with her mother-in-law. Now, I just want to tell you, next week, chapter 3, is some of the most sensual language that you are going to see in the Bible. So get yourself prepared. Because Ruth, chapter 3, you're going to see interaction between Ruth and Boaz. And I understand we got little ears in the room, but we're going to do justice to the biblical text, but just know there is sensuality to come. But for now... There is suspense left at the end of chapter 2 because she's now back with her mother-in-law. They're eating, but they don't have anybody to care for them long term. Now look back with me at chapter 2, verse 20, because I want you to see after Naomi hears what Boaz has done, she says this, May he be blessed by the Lord, that's Yahweh God, whose kindness, kindness, uh, this is that Hebrew word that we talked about last week, chesed, his hased has not forsaken the living or the dead. So hased, if you next next slide there, is the loving kindness and faithfulness of God. This is what Naomi recognizes is going on in the life of Boaz. He is giving her hased. It's it's Boaz's kindness here. And there's much debate here over in the scholars over is who's here talking about Boaz? Or is who's talking about the Lord? So, so read that for a second. Is, is who's talking about Boaz's kindness? Or is who's talking about the Lord's kindness? Would be an interpretive thing that you should probably think about. But I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. It's both. Boaz's kindness is actually a reflection of the Lord's kindness. Boaz is symbolically representing Yahweh the Lord to Ruth. He is demonstrating to her the kindness of God. Now, you might be wondering as we apply this, what in the world does Ruth chapter 2 have to do with where I'm sitting in December 2023? Well, here's what it has to do with you and me. Hear me. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are Ruth. You and I are Ruth. We are Ruth in the story. Every single one of us has a story, has a past that's full of sin and shame and suffering. But what I want you to know is that God has looked upon you anyway. He's looked upon you anyway with love. And there's four things I want you to see in your outline there about God from this text that Boaz mirrors for us. Number one, God seeks us. God seeks us. The book of Ruth is teaching us that in the middle of our shame and our hurt and our sin and our suffering, God has sought us. And the reality is there's not much attractive in you that would make him want to seek you. You're a sinner, friend. I'm a sinner. He's holy. Why would he want to come after us? We're not worthy to even be in his presence. He's holy. We're not. He's perfect. We're imperfect. But the Bible teaches that there was no other reason that he pursued us but because he loved us. There's no other reason that can explain Boaz demonstrating Hesed to Ruth. I mean, do you, do you see the divine drama going on in this chapter? The Bible teaches that God has come to us, friends, in the person of Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, where this is. And Jesus has come on a rescue mission to die for the sins of his people. Like Jesus left heaven 
to come and demonstrate the extravagant, doesn't make sense love of God towards you. He sought you. And let me remind you, if he did not seek you, you would never seek him. You would never seek him. Because sin has so blinded you, and sin has so messed us up, friends, that we can't see clearly at, at, at anything. You can't, even, you, don't even, you can't even view yourself correctly unless you view yourself in light of God. And so ultimately, Jesus laid his life down, and anybody who would look to him by faith, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter who you've done, what you've not done, or where you've been, you can come to this God. If you will repent of your sin and you will trust in him by faith, he will save you. And from the inside out, he will put a new engine in you, call the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God will begin to work from the inside out, and he will begin to change you. And so God seeks us. Second of all, God shelters us. The language here in Ruth 2 is exactly what we see in Psalm 91.1. You should memorize this verse. Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Man, I don't know what you've walked through when it comes to hurts through your life or what hurts you're currently walking through mentally, financially, circumstantially, physically, but the truth of the Bible is none of that surprises God. Not only does God know it, but He promises to be a shelter for you, to be a refuge for you in the midst of the sin and the pain and the shame. But you got to come to him. And then what's more is he not only seeks us and shelters us, but he serves us. God serves us. Don't miss the picture here between this meal between Boaz and Ruth. I want you to see yourself at the table and, and realize the Lord invited you to come sit at his table when he saved you. And not just sit there, but actually he's going to serve you. It doesn't make sense. He's a holy God, friends. And yet, Boaz is mirroring how at the moment of your salvation, God set you down at his table, and in the person of Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to serve you. And not just serve you, but I'm going to give you the very best that I have which is my righteousness. That I'm going to begin to look at you through the lenses of Jesus if you would come to him and trust him. And then what's more? Remember Boaz said, I'm going to feed you now, but then go, go out in the field and keep feeding. This is what the Lord says to all of us after salvation. I'm going to feed you, John 6. No, we're almost landing this plane. Just stay with me. I'm going to feed you, John chapter 6. In other words, if you'll come eat, I will satisfy you spiritually. The greatest longing of your heart, I will satisfy it. But then, this is what Jesus says, go out and keep feasting on what I'm providing for you. Go out in my field and keep laboring. Keep working. Keep digging in my word. I provided it for you. Keep praying. Keep feasting upon me. Teenagers in this room, there are fields that the world says come to and work in. Stay away from those fields. Young adults, there's things that your college colleagues and friends and things you see that are so alluring to you, but they're not of God. They don't honor God. Don't work in those fields. It's bankrupt. Singles, men, women, 
There's all kind of fields grasping for us. Some of you are dating a person right now, and they're not God's best for you. They're not. They don't love the Lord. They're not pursuing Him, and yet you just kind of keep missionary dating them. That's not God's best for you. You don't date someone to get them saved. You date someone because they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you see a future with them, and so then you pursue them. But some of us need to have a conversation with someone that lets them know very candidly, graciously, that, that, that th- this doesn't need to go any further because you, you're working in that field and the Lord's like, it's not my best for you. Some of us are pursuing a degree possibly, and your degree is all about you, bro. It's all about you. Like you, you want to get a degree so you can be rich and so you can advance your kingdom. Don't work in that field. Switch degrees. January, uh, spring semester starts soon. We need to have a chat between now and then. That degree is about you. It's not about the Lord. Forsake it. Don't work in that field. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing there. On the other hand, the Bible says there are certain fields that we should just run from. Materialism, pornography, addiction, immorality. Scripture says, flee youthful lusts. The Lord is the only one who could satisfy your need when he saves you, and he's the only one who can continually satisfy you as you feast on the field that he has for you, for you. Finally, God showers us. He showers us. God shelters us. He shelters us in the storm, but he showers us with his grace. I mean, Ruth's hauling 30 to 50 pounds of grain. I almost think that's a miracle in and of itself, that God would give grace to this woman to carry this ephah of, of food all the way back and see yourself in that and and dear friend hear the promise of philippians 419 over your life right now and my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in christ jesus rest in that rest in that he is going to shower you shower you. I've seen brothers and and, and sisters who were tempted to cheat on their taxes to get more money, and they could do it and get away with it, and they had done it for many, many years, and we had a conversation about it. They had to go back and pay all these people back for how they had cheated them out, but this is their verse now, because every year that brother texts me and says, Jordan, I'm still tempted to cheat on my taxes, but he said, what I do is, is I get Philippians 4.19, and I say, my God will supply all my needs, and I rest in that, and I claim that, and, I, and he said, and you'll be amazed, every single year God provides for me. See, he's waiting on the Lord, is he not? He's not going ahead and finding greener grass on his own. He is taking the word of God, claiming it as the promise of God, and trusting in the will of God. So you got to let God shower you. Now, hear this good news. God in his chesed, in his loving kindness, toward everyone who trusts Jesus. If you trust Jesus in this room, like in a salvific way, like he's my savior, he's my Lord, would you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. So he, friends, has gone out of his way to extravagantly bless you, to extravagantly give you not only is salvation, but every good thing that you have from him, he is orchestrating it. And that is good news. And what I want you to see in Ruth chapter 2, which I skipped in my slides because I was so excited to get in the text, is, is Ruth chapter 2 is this. Thank you, brothers. I blew past that earlier. 
The character of God shines through the characters in the story. That's what Ruth 2 is all about. The character of God shines through the characters in the story. So pray with me. I want to do two things as we pray. First, I want to ask every person here, have you put your trust in the loving kindness of God? Have you put your faith, trust, and hope in Jesus and all that he has done for you? to save you from your sin and to bring you into God's family. Right now, are you sheltered under his wings? If someone were to ask you if you're a Christian and you said yes and they said why, what would your answer be? Would it be that I'm trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? Every other answer, friend, will fall short of heaven. But please know that right now you are not here by accident. God has brought you here to hear of his love and to receive it today. So I want to invite you, if that's you this morning and you're like, Jordan, I don't don't have the assurance that, that Jesus is my Savior, that I'm a Christian. All this sounds good, but I don't know. Right right where you're sitting, would you say something along the lines of, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have been separated by you, by my sin. But today I realize that you have sought me, that you've crossed all the barriers, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And today I want to trust you alone as my Lord. Save me, God, from my sin. Save me. Set me at your table. Help me rest under the shadow of your eternal wings. That is you this morning, and you prayed something of a semblance of that prayer. Just for a moment, would you look up at me, just make eye contact with me? see you. Dear God, I praise you for sovereignly orchestrating the details of these individuals' lives. You brought them here to hear of your love. Thank you for pursuing them. God, thank you for coming after them. God, would you just continue to reveal yourself to them? Would you grant them a new heart, a heart that would love you and want to follow you and give you the assurance of their eternal salvation? I just pray, God, that you would give them courage today along with others who may not have looked up at me. Maybe I didn't see them. I thank you that I don't have to see them because you see them. I pray that you would give them the courage to tell somebody that today, Today, I've realized that God loves me. That he died for me. God, would you help them do that? We want to enter into that joyous occasion of seeing them go public with their faith and baptism, showing that they are a new person in Christ. Lord, this is our heart here at PBC, to see people far from you come to know you and then rest in you, and then grow in you. And this leads to a second thing. As your heads are bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask everyone who 
who may have put your trust in Jesus in the past, maybe many years or even decades ago, but I want to ask you in a fresh way right now, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with your mental health? Do you trust him with your physical health? Do you trust him with that really difficult family situation that makes Christmas rather awkward here soon? Do you trust him? This morning, if you would say, Jordan, I'm having a hard time trusting him. Would you just look at me? I see you, brother. I see you, sister. I see you. More importantly, God sees you. Oh, God, I praise you that you saved us. That you opened our spiritual eyes to behold the truth of the gospel. I pray for these ones who looked up, and I pray for those who didn't look up that are struggling right now. I pray that you would overwhelm them with your love again that they would know that they have a refuge under the shadow of your wings, that, that you have seated them at your table, that you have promised to serve their every need, and even in their waiting, God, would you give them grace, strength, help, wisdom, perseverance, and faith, faith, to believe that you are who you say that you are, a faithful God. And so amidst, Lord, our, our hurting Would you draw us deeper into your love? Knowing there is a day when sin will be no more. There is a day when suffering will be no more. There is a day in which we won't even cry. And all the tears that we had in this life, they will be wiped away from our eyes. So we put our hope in you. And together, together, Lord, we say that we trust you. We praise you for being the God of Hesed, The God who loves like this. And we pray this in the name of the only one who makes any of this possible, our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, can we stand to our feet? Let's sing this song, I Surrender All. Would you sing it? Would you mean it? And let's surrender all over again to our Lord Jesus.